Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode four of Live from Pawnee, a Parks and Rec fan rewatch podcast. This week, we're going to break down episode four of season one, which is called Boys Club. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Mark. Mark, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Alan. How about you, buddy? I am doing terrific. I think we'll all see that as the episode goes on tonight. No doubt. Hey, Mark, did you know that this episode was directed by Michael McCullers and was written by Alan Yang? I did not know that. That's fascinating. All right, Mark. You know what? I was also looking at the synopsis provided by NBC. I thought it'd be interesting to see how they describe such what I think is a pretty good episode. And we'll talk about that a little more in a bit. But, you know, we, we've been writing our own synopsis. And I thought, well, let's save ourselves some time and let's read the fabulous words of NBC. It's like eight words and two sentences. Hey, they're the pros, right? They, they will know. Yeah. So I, I immediately rewrote it. So would you like to hear what I wrote? I would love to. Go for it. All right. So here's what I wrote. In this week's episode, the team receives a gift basket and Leslie tells them that they cannot open it because it is clearly worth more than the $25 limit that government employees have for gifts. Later, when the option presents itself, she tries to make her way into the Tuesday night boys club by going to a casual get together in the courtyard with a few of the city planners. But when the booze runs out and the party threatens to break up, she decides to break open the gift basket and keep the party going. This leads to an internal ethical struggle where she eventually whistle blows on herself. And meanwhile, Andy has a secret plan to surprise Anne while she has to work a double shift. What do you think? That's a pretty good synopsis. Now, NBC wrote that or that's no, a... No, hell no. They, no. they basically said this episode is about Leslie and a moral dilemma and Andy does something nice for Anne. That was pretty much it. Nailed it. Yep. I, I like yours a lot better. I, apparently they were paying by the word, so we helped them out. <laughs> well, what do you want to do next, Mark? You want to get into the cold open a little bit and tell us what happens there? I, I would love to. Um, this was a great uh, cold open. Um, so we see Tom and Leslie are, are in the, I assume it's the Parks and Rec mobile. I don't know whose it is, uh, but they're in the car together. They've been sent to investigate some no good teens. And these no good teens, Alan, are digging bags of dog poop out of the trash can and using them to fight. Can you even believe it? And they don't think it's going to happen. They're like, that's not real. And then they see it happening. And Tom says, I'm out. I'm Goes done. back to the car. And Leslie tries to talk him down only to be pelted with dog poop. And then she's grossed out at first and then she starts to get into it and she grabs a trash can she, uh, lid as a shield and she starts wailing on him. And then the camera, you know, she does the, the take to the camera at mid fight and she's like, okay, this is a little fun. <laughs> she kind of gets into it. Great opening. I don't even think that has anything to do with the rest of the episode, but, but a very nice opening. Not a bit. And some of the best cold opens usually don't have a lot to do with the episode. So agreed. Yeah, this was an enjoyable one for sure. Well, let's see. We kind of shook it up a little bit this week, didn't we? We, we did the synopses and uh, we did the cold open. We usually do the AKAs, don't we? We usually do the AKAs. You want to give us yours this week? I think I went first last week. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. We got to alternate. It's only fair. Um, <clears throat> well, my AKA is having to do with uh, Leslie being in the um, in the ethical predicament that she finds herself in. As we follow the episode, she eventually goes to Ron and says, Ron, you know, you gotta, you gotta call me on this. And he's like, no, you're ridiculous. I'm not gonna do that. So she eventually says, well, 
you know, I asked Ron to blow the whistle on me and he wouldn't. So I had to whistle blow myself. That is my AKA. I had to whistle blow myself. That is a terrific AKA. That's going to be a hard one to top. I agree. Don't even try. No, go ahead and try. Go ahead. I, I will do my best. <laughs> well, Mark. Okay. So my AKA, which is clearly not as good as yours. Clearly. Wow. Tom, you're like a brown Superman with a beard. Okay, that's pretty good. It's a pretty funny one. It's it's actually one of the little, you know, one of the featured moments I think we should talk about. But, you know, after our AKAs, we usually take our first break. So let's do that and we'll be right back. All right. See you soon. All right. Hello, this is Ron Swanson. If you are looking for a bank, I have been asked to recommend the first fourth bank of Pawnee. Personally, I do not use banks. I buy gold. Gold is good. Gold is dependable. You should buy gold. However, if you prefer to be a moron and trust a federally regulated front for thievery and systematic pilfering of your hard-earned capital each month, then by all means, visit a bank. And, why not make it the first fourth bank of Pawnee? Thank you. That is all. All right, we're back. So, wow, Tom, you're like a brown Superman with a beard. You want to set it up for us? He calls it like he sees it. Well, Alan, I think what happens is at the very beginning of the episode, Leslie is making sure that no one gives into temptation with this naughty, naughty wine and cheese basket and is hiding it from everybody. Tom is uh, commenting that you know, there are several ways that someone in a position such as such as theirs as a government official can abuse their power, but that he is clearly above reproach. Way above that. At the same time as he's saying this, there's a video, I believe, playing in the background. Yeah, we of him. flash cut to him in the park. Right. And, and he says, basically, he goes up to a hot dog vendor and he says, hey, I'm sorry, this is official Parks and Rec business. I'm going to need to grab that hot dog there. Sorry, little girl. Tells her. Tells her. Sorry, yeah, little girl. Sorry, little girl. You're after the next one. And in the meantime, it flashes back and he's staring at the camera just going, you know, look, I'm above moral reproach. I don't do that. I am like a brown Superman with a beard. I stand for truth, justice. Justice and, in the American the way. Damn American way, which is just great. So, yeah, there you go. What else did you have on your list, Mark? For me, there is a there is a a, a great a physical comedy moment I think by Amy Poehler, where she she has three occasions where she's speaking to the camera almost as though it's a presidential address to try and uh, you know make amends for this great wrong that she's committed with the gift basket. The third time, she is so distraught, she is she is blubbering uncontrollably and and i just love that she she keeps it together enough to try and keep on blurting out nonsense to the camera it's probably just like what a 10 second thing even if that oh my gosh do we have do we have a clip of that we do have a clip of it uh, i can play that yeah please good evening i've been looking at you a couple of times about something that happened but i don't want to i don't want to talk about it anymore <laughs> <laughs> that just it makes me laugh every single time um leslie has some great comedic moments in this episode and and i think that this is going to be 
reflected in my my final score i i have a feeling but yeah that's definitely one of them i agree and you know what Let, let's walk back a little bit because there's a lot that happens before we get to that specific moment right true i mean we we've received the gift the, the gift basket tom's gone and done his little uh, dialogue about being a brown superman and then we come back into the office and we see the team there uh, they're setting up the social network profile they've found out that uh, the Sullivan Street Pit, and they found out that it has six friends, one of which is Mark, and uh, they take a look at Mark's profile, and there happens to be all these scantily clad girls on there, and clearly evidence of uh, oh, Mark Mark having <laughs> quite a social life outside the workplace. I guess. Yeah, so yeah. Good, good for him, huh? <laughs> I'm jealous, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they look classy. And then I think... Um, they try to that's when they try to uh crash what they consider the boys club right yeah they're ann and uh, leslie are having this conversation about mark and the you know kind of his lifestyle and they see him out in the courtyard and leslie refer, refers to it as the quote boys club which turns out to just be a couple of the guys from the city planning department every tuesday night they go out and drink some beers and uh ann and leslie decide that they're going to infiltrate it i think they even had one little quick clip where or where he uh or where she says oh you know what are they doing out there oh you know t planning empires and that sort of thing and yeah. one of the guys you know looks over to mark and says my wife got me this shirt because it makes me look thinner he's like yeah you know it kind of does, kinda does. Like, re really important stuff there yeah yeah leslie has probably made this more in her mind than it actually is which you know i think you know they decide to go out and have a beer with the boys and there's some really funny stuff that happens one of the, my favorite things was Leslie goes to casually lean on that iron table and it flips over and Complete the disaster. glass yeah. breaks and she goes, that's me breaking the glass ceiling. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was great. I agree. I loved, I think this may be one when Leslie feels so bad about the gift basket, she sends out an email to all the government employees in which she puts a link to the pit website. Unbeknownst to her, April puts a video of her 19-year-old underage self drinking the forbidden gift basket wine. As a result, she gets called into uh, the disciplinary committee for a hearing. She's going to have to testify. And Tom tries to help her prep for this by saying, you know, hey, I, you want some questions to kind of prepare for what might happen? And at first she's like, yeah, because she's really nervous. And he goes into a series of great improv moments and questions that were just hysterical. So you know what scene I'm talking about, right? I do. That's one of our featured clips this week. Uh, let's, let's play it real quick. All right. So, Ms. Nope, you're accused of stealing wine. How many drinks do you have per week on average? Zero. Zero to six. I'm gonna write down 10. Yeah. You ever cheat on your taxes? No, 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 never. Good, you're doing great. How many sexual partners have you had in the last year? <laughs> you gonna ask that? This is a deposition style hearing this, no, nothing is off limits. You have to answer nothing. how many sexual partners have you had in the last year? Zero to six. <laughs> Zero. Have you ever thought about Ron sexually? What? Including dreams. Have you ever had a sexual dream about our boss, Ron Swanson? No, absolutely not. No. Yes. Yes. No. <laughs> now, in this recurring dream that you have about Ron, is he like a regular Ron or is he half Ron, half animal, like a centaur? What? <laughs> is he wearing a football uniform? Are you making love to him on a couch shaped like his mustache? Is he covered in Powerade? No. Okay, time out. Oh, boy. 
Yeah, that's uh, that, that's a great scene. And uh, my favorite line from that is, are you making love to him on a couch, couch shape shaped like, like his, his mustache. mustache? Yep, without a doubt. I saw that in my head as soon as he said it, and I can't unsee it now. I got to tell you, though, I wouldn't not buy that couch. <laughs> I think it could be very popular. Uh, I, I, can, I think very. Yeah. Wayfair.com, people will be buying that thing up. Yep, nailed it. You know, there's another funny thing here kind of that transpired and as they're flashing back and forth, you know, the the other sub subplot of this episode is the one where, you know, uh, it's between Ann and Andy and uh, they've set it up that Ann is about to work a double shift and she's just asking Andy, you know, it, the place is a pit inside the house too, not just the pit outside the house. And she's just asking Andy if he can clean up just a little bit while she's gone. And meanwhile, outside, there's this dog in the pit. and It's ripping open a diaper. And we <laughs> yeah. pan back to see that, uh, you know, the, the neighbors have now, you know, not only are they living with the pit, but they're starting to take advantage of it by just throwing their garbage in there. Yep, so, right in there. Yep. And Ann's doing it, too. But, um, you know, he says, you know, I'll see what I can do. Um, you know, it's pretty hard to do anything. And she's like, that's fine. I'll just do it when I get home. He goes, oh, you're so nice. So, you know, that's how that scene ends. And, you know, we think at that point, you know, this is the Andy that we've what known. Yeah, yeah. What, yeah. And, and episodes one through three, we'll come back to that in a minute. But, uh, you know, we actually see some Andy improvement this week, which I was very happy to see. I agree. I think it's fair to point out, too, that around eight minutes and 40 seconds, Leslie has come back in. She's just starting to feel the shame of what she's done in terms of, you know, breaking open the gift basket. And she her first confession is to go out and confess to the team. And Jerry and Donna are sitting at the table and she tells them what they what she did. And Donna's like, oh, well, that's a really nice basket. Can I have it? And I'm pretty sure this is the first time we've heard a single line from Donna. Yeah, you may be right. Episode four, eight minutes in, and we're finally hearing Donna speak. So yep. th that alone right there is a little bit of a crime that they'll eventually make up for, but uh, a lot more great stuff to come from her. That's a good call. Um, you know, I, I have uh, <laughs> one more, uh, I guess, standout moment that to me kind of goes hand in hand with one of the the, the character arcs uh, building Um I, you know, for, for Ron, we see Ron once again, we, we've seen Ron uh, line up behind Leslie before in episode two, but we, I feel like that was largely because his neck was kind of on the line. So he was kind of, kind of very self-motivated and yeah, he's kind of on her side, but yeah, as you said, he's very self-motivated. Well, in this episode, we see Ron once again, lining up behind Leslie, but this time it's to genuinely help her and not because he's just tied to her. Um, you know, so far the Leslie slash Ron duo, I think have served pretty much as the makeshift protagonist slash antagonist for the show, roughly. Um, here we see, um, you know, that the supposed antagonist now shows some compassion and heart and it may be cliche, but it works for me. I really like it. And the, the, the moment then, so that's kind of the character development. The moment that I, I love for a standout moment is what I think of as the Ron monologue. Mm. And it's where she's in front of the disciplinary committee and they're kind of just asking her questions, just grilling her more than they really need to. Yeah. And he finally loses his his patience and just tells them off and is just like, look, you know, you want to give her a slap on the wrist. 
I get it. That's fine. But she breaks so few rules. It's annoying. And if you want to do more than slap her on the wrist, you're going to have to go through me. Leslie, get up. We're done. I'm like, yeah, right on, Ron. It was a, it was a great moment. You want to play it? I've got the clip all teed up. Uh, that would be great. Thank you. All right. Let's give it a play. Can you go over the timeline for us once more? Yes, of course. I awoke at 6.21 a.m. after a fitful night of sleep. Oh, we've been over this. <laughs> what more could you guys possibly want her to do? Well, we don't know yet. Frankly, we've got a lot more questions. <laughs> Ron, it's okay. No, it's not. This is not communist China. You cannot make her whip herself. You cannot make her wear a hair shirt. A hair shirt. We weren't planning on doing either of those things. This is America. You want to live in North Korea? You can live in North Korea. I don't want to. I want to live in America. <laughs> Leslie has never broken a rule in her life to the point that it's annoying. If you want to slap her on the wrist, go ahead. If you want to do anything more serious, you're going to have to go through me. Let's go. Are we done? We're done. Let's go. Yeah, Ron. I love that look on her face. Very satisfied that he uh -huh. for her. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's clearly the Ron that we're going to get to know and love. He's, you know, he definitely is still the libertarian, doesn't love government, doesn't like, uh, you know, them the flexing their muscle and making more out of this minor, minor incident than really needs to be made of it. And I do have to mention one other thing, just the, the, the nerd in me wants to say this so badly, uh, you know, our, our, our viewing audience may not know this and, you know, you and I know they're not viewers, but uh, you and I are fans of a little book series called the Dresden files. Alan. Yep. And uh, that will be podcast number four. <laughs> and uh, there's, there's a, a, a reference from the Dresden files um, where they, they reference something called the Darth Vader syndrome that that just really struck me about this and so the darth vader syndrome is the satisfaction of seeing someone who's been scaring the pants off of you go after another mutual enemy now that's a little bit you know bombastic for this it's a comedy for crying out loud and yet we've seen ron be this yeah, pseudo antagonist he's kind of set up to be against leslie kind of not a bad yeah. guy but he's kind of been the antagonist we've seen him be gruff and stern and you know rah, 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 rah. and now to see him go after someone who's punking on leslie is like oh ron's a badass go man go it's just it's very very satisfying so it, it's very much a i can call my dog ugly but you can't type moment right you know he he can discipline leslie he can scold her but now that these yahoos want to do it and make this mountain out of this little molehill uh, he didn't having it Absolutely. I, I, I agree. And to, to kind of cap off the Ron thing, there, there's a very, very sweet, uh, I think, moment where, you know, Leslie says, Ron, thanks. You know, and he's like, don't worry about it. Kind of gruff. She leaves his office. And just for a second, yep. you see a little, just a, just a little, very tiny, sweet smile. And he immediately looks at the camera and it disappears from his face. Like he got caught, he you got know, caught, yeah. um, but it's not sweet. Like he, he really, he either likes or respects her or both. Absolutely. That's a great example. What else did you have? Well, I think in terms of other characters who, you know, were featured or developed here, you know, there's the April plot line, which is part of the Leslie plot line. You know, I think uh, April unbeknownst to Leslie, uh, you know, has gotten a hold of the uh, partial bottles of wine She's uh, taken a video of herself and put it up on the Pitts website. 
um, why of all websites she chose to post it there, but she did. And that's really what kind of sets in motion the fact that this does get taken so seriously, because up until that point, you know, we're all pretty sure and Ron's definitely sure that this is a very minor thing. Um, and that, you know, it's going to be a slap on the wrist for, you know, taking the gift and basically, right. uh, you know, using it because she hasn't really done anything beyond that. Right but now she is quote contributed to the delinquency of the a minor. minor. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's the only way in which this episode ever gets really serious. And, you know, we learn, I think in the deleted scenes, if I remember that April has like three or five different fake IDs since she was 14 years old and she's 32 in Minnesota or something. So, you know, she's, She's not quite as innocent, maybe as uh, you know she's made out to be. But right, but that's a good point. I mean that that kind of is the 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 pivotal hinge that makes the rest of this go in a direction that could, yes, even even halfway be considered serious. Because besides that, like okay, it's a it's a gift basket. Come on, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, and she shared it with like seven other people. So technically, in my mind, they each only had a two dollar and seventy five cent gift. That is a great point. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, that's what I told my lawyer too. So. <laughs> Did you have any other uh, character arcs or, or uh, standout moments? I, I think, you know, um, I had, I'd noted the grilling of, uh, you know, of Leslie and the angry, angry Ron part as well. Um, we've, we've heard Donna talk. Not a lot. Jerry, not a lot of Jerry happens in this episode. Um, you know, this, there's, it's a, I think in lots of ways, not a lot happens in this episode, and yet I feel like this is certainly in season one by far the best episode we've seen yet. And in lots of ways, it reminds me of some future episodes that we'll see over the next seven seasons in terms of, you know, they do a lot with a little and, you know, not a lot has to happen for, you know, 21 minutes of funny to, to ensue. So um, I actually enjoyed this episode. It was definitely so far my favorite of season one. I think that's a great call, Alan. I, I completely agree as well. And I have a feeling that the scoring is going to represent that probably for both of us. Um, and, and I think that that's kind of a, a nice staple of some of the great classic sitcoms is you don't have to have a big gravitas infused story. You can have a stupid right. story about nothing and they can make it fantastic. So, well, you know, Seinfeld was a whole show about nothing. Right. And I'm saying yeah. you go back and watch those episodes. And, you know, I, every time I do, I'm kind of amazed that they had three and four different major majorly memorable moments in our story arcs in each of them and yet they were really not about anything yeah podcast yep. number five podcast number five there you go the only other thing i was going to mention is um i guess involving character building is you know i remember you had said something in our last podcast about mark and tom kind of starting to Mm. cross the line and like one's becoming a little bit more skanky and one's becoming a little bit more likable etc there's there's an interesting little twist and i don't know if you caught it i bet you did when when ann and leslie were trying to break into Du Bois club and they were talking to mark and ann is kind of giving him the business about his profile page with all the you know the, the 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 sleazy uh women there um and she's like, you know, well, is that your regular Friday night crowd? And he just kind of looks at them very nonplussed and says, well, you know, I, I honestly don't hang out with those people anymore. They're not really my my friends. And yeah. which is not a huge deal, but it kind of gives you the idea like, yeah, he used to be kind of a playboy. And yes, right. OK, he's had a few little semi skanky moments, but he's not really 
eh, not really that guy anymore. Yeah, I think that's true. The, you know, the reporter um, may be a step backwards for him, you know, episode three, um, because, you know, in that episode, you know, I remember that Tom was talking a little bit about the legend, you know, behind Mark and that he, you know, had this history of lots of women and in the commentary, you know, um, I think Mike Schur said it best that, you know, we see, um, we see him, we see Mark doing what he does best, flirting with girls, um, you know, and so I, I think he is moving past that. I think, you know, we'll see him kind of continue on that path and be a little less sleazy and, and Tom a little less sleazy for sure. But even Mark, uh, you know, goes down that path where I think he becomes a more likable character. I'm not sure he ever really turns the corner in terms of, hey, I love that guy like the other right. characters do. Right. Um, I feel like they kind of left his character no place to go when they kind of took that from him. And yet I think it's good they took it from him. Right, right. I agree. The, the other thing I was going to mention here is is Leslie, believe it or not. Now, not that she had any huge growth exactly, but, you know, as our viewing audience knows, and I know they're not viewers, uh, for with episode two, um, I was grumpy, Mark, because I felt like there, you know, Leslie yeah. was kind of, she, she was kind of stepping out of what I thought was her character's defined comfort zone of, you know, optimism and so on and so forth. I felt like this, this episode was just, Leslie's nuts, but this is the sort of insanity that I feel like shows Leslie at her best. You know, she's a, she's a bright beacon of optimism coupled with loving the government. She loves her job. She's got a crushing, ridiculous sense of responsibility and seriousness for what she's done. She, she may be crazy, but I feel like she also personifies in a, in a, in a, you know, in a, in a cheesy way, the best of us in her own way. Like she's trying so hard to be a good person. And in, in my mind, that's what makes her so damn likable. You know, I know that this is a thought by many to be pretty much a spinoff in, in some ways of the office. Um, I say, I think she pulls off genuine likability even better than Michael Scott on The Office because of things like this. You know, Steve Carell is a genius, but sometimes, to quote the great Alan Piercy, these people got to stay human or you're not going to want to support them, right? And sometimes, I love Steve Carell, but sometimes I don't like Michael very much. I yeah. love Leslie Nope. I really like her. So no, that, That's an excellent point. And, you know, I think Leslie becomes that likable version of herself a lot sooner in this series than Michael does in The Office. And Michael always finds his way back regardless of how much you kind of like him in one moment, he always finds his way back to something cringy again, because that's just who he is. Right. Um, Leslie, I think, you know, isn't the person we saw in episode one and two and three to some degree. Um, four, I think it is becoming that Leslie. She's going to get it stronger. She's going to get less dependent on Ron. She's going to care less about quote infiltrating the boys club you know instead she's going to go create her own damn club at some point and that's that's the leslie we really like and we'll get there amen um, yeah and this is a step in that direction you know i think in terms of other character development the only other thing i was going to mention was andy kind of going back to the you know part two of that scene you know we we've kind of done some of the other shenanigans related to leslie's storyline we're back at ann and andy's place and andy's been cleaning and he's doing a great job um you know there's some funny moments where he's got the vacuum up by one arm on the couch and he's like yeah i wish i wasn't i wish i could say some of this mess was actually ann's but 
it's not, I'm a slob. Right. So, you know, that, that self-deprecation is, is going to lean, you know, kind of be one of the things we like about him. He never takes himself seriously. And, you know, he, he, I think he is, this is the first time he's really doing something for someone else in the entire, it's the first time we've seen it in this series. And, you know, I think he'll keep doing that kind of stuff. So, you know, he does a great job of cleaning the apartment. He gets to the point where he's fine. The apartment's great. Now I got to clean myself. <laughs> and he goes outside and he's got a kiddie pool filled up with water and uh, he's, he's lathered up. His, he's in there. He's got his legs wrapped in trash bags so his casts don't get wet. Um, Listening to his boom box. Yep. Apparently he has to do this because he can't take a shower. And so um, what is on his boom box? I think it's the song he wrote for Ann, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. 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 Yeah, he's here and is like, isn't that great? And, you know, I, I, I know I've mentioned in this podcast and, and uh, b- before in previous ones how much I love physical comedy. This mm. is gold, you know, like it. And, you know, I know you, know you were going to say this, but Lawrence comes in and he's all grumpy Lawrence and stuff and his, his nemesis. Right. Neighbor Lawrence. Like, turn, turn down, turn down that, do- that boom box. Like, no, get out of here, Lawrence. We hate you. You know, well, I, you know what I do? I take your boom box. That's what I do. Yeah. Cause he asked so nicely, he says. <laughs> And Andy, he flips over backwards out of the pool, butt naked. Oh, yeah. So the camera is blurring all we sorts get the of blur. stuff. That's two the, that's two broken legs flailing up in the air, you know, outside this kiddie pool. Now he's chasing Lawrence yeah. naked on yeah. crutches down the street. And do you remember what he says? He, went, he says, I just put 12 batteries in there. <laughs> And, did, and you know what else I love is, is you know, he's chasing Lawrence. The camera goes to Lawrence and Lawrence is like doing this gimpy walk, just kind yeah, of making, making fun, fun of, of Andy. Oh, and so then great. one of the neighbors comes out, Larry, the neighbor comes out with his dog. He's like, go back inside, Larry. <laughs> he turns around. He's like, yep. I'm not, don't need to see this. Yeah, I'm not dealing with this shenanigans. That's right. So, you know, and then eventually Anne comes home and she's impressed with what Andy has done. And she's obviously grateful after a long double shift. And, you know, Andy says he's getting gently laid tonight and, uh, you know, embarrasses Anne. And, you know, there's a a great little exchange there as well. So, you know what I like about that? This is going to sound cheesy, but there wasn't um, a big buildup to like a threes company-esque punchline for what Andy was trying to do. Like, yeah. you know, I, I'm sorry, I tried to do this, but I learned my lesson. It was just a genuinely sweet, uh, you know, gesture. And it yeah. was funny along the way for because of a couple of things, but it was just very nice. Absolutely. I mean, it's overdue for sure. Cause you know, we've pointed out in the previous episodes, he's pretty taken hardcore. He's taking pretty hardcore advantage of Anne and her kindness while he's, you know, basically useless on the couch all day long playing various Wii games. Right. Uh, and I think this week we got to feature Mario Kart. <laughs> yep, we sure did. Yep. So that was that was great as well. And I know we sometimes we kind of merge just like, you know, character arcs or building whatever with standout moments and it all kind of intermeshes together. Um, that that is one thing that I kind of agree with that, that I see kind of as character building and I, I you may agree with me here Alan that um, I think this is the first episode where we see Andy in, in some other role uh, other than a human leech. Um, it actually shows him acting in, in a kind, decent uh, manner and, and, you know, makes him more likable. So I'm really glad that they showed this side of Andy. That's a good call. 
I think that's about all I had on my list of highlights and character development. How about you, Mark? Are we ready yeah, to take a break? I think so. Let's take break number two. All right, let's take our break. And then when we come back, we'll score this sucker. See you in a few. All right. Are you hungry? Do you want a bowl of savory, sweet, sugar-coated deliciousness, but do not have time to make a better decision? If this is the case, you should eat Mighty Bites. Hello. This is Ron Swanson. I do not tend to endorse mass-produced products, especially cereal, since I firmly believe all food should be breakfast food, and breakfast food should almost always be bacon and eggs. However, if I must make an exception, and in this case I am being paid to do so, it would be for Mighty Bites. Thank you. That is all. All right, we're back. So, Mark, what do you think? Hey, well, you know, Alan, uh, during the break, I actually thought of one last moment I wanted to bring up just real quickly here. At the very end of the episode, Mark has a very nice moment where he comes into Leslie's office and basically has a, has a beer with her and says, you know, you're, you welcomes her to the team, you know, uh, uh, letting her know that it, a letter in her file is not something to worry about, that every hmm. guy in city planning has a bunch of letters, yeah, including he's him. He's got seven. He's got seven, you know, welcomes her to the team. They, they clink and drink. It's a very nice, uh, you know, humanizing moment uh, at, at the end. And, and it kind of shows how, it, I think in the commentary, they said it really well. They said, you know, this is a nice wrap up uh, showing how Leslie in an accidental back ass word sort of a way did end up getting into the boys club by yep. getting a letter in her own file. So she's kind of like, she's a delinquent like them. She's one of them. <laughs> what well, do you think? I agree. I mean, I think, you know, this, this all happens around, uh, you know, mile marker 20 um, in the, in the episode, 20 minutes and 11 seconds. If you want to check it out at home, you know, our viewers at home, as you like to say, they're not viewers. And, okay. See, now you get it. Finally. We'll see. Anyway. Um, yeah. You know, I think for, this is one of those moments where I think it's going to be a turning point for Leslie or a growth point from which she'll grow you know, she's maybe going to take her job a little less seriously in terms of how rigid she is about following the rules, you know, and, and Mark's conversation here kind of lets her, you know, kind of settle into the fact that, yeah, you know what, she's got a letter, but so what they between them, you know, the other, the guys, the other guys in the guys club, right. They've mm -hmm. got dozens of these letters. So it's not really a big deal. Right. And, you know, I think, you know, we're going to see Leslie calm down a little bit, be more, more likable as the episode goes on or as the series goes on. And this is definitely one of those moments that helps her get there. Yep. Yep. Well said. All right. Well, let's, let's score this thing and let's see how we feel about it. All right. Now we, we, we like to alternate, right? So no, no, none of us gets the reign of power every single week. You know what? That's fair. I think if that's true, then I think I have to go first this week. Ha uh ha. -huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. So I, I know that we have some work to do on correcting the sins of the past as, as well, correct? I think last week's podcast, I inadvertently referred to my scoring uh, history uh, incorrectly. Oh, yes, that's right. We got the little Sebastians wrong. We did get my little Sebastians wrong. So if I recall, and now you just keep me honest here. I started in episode one, we were both low. And I think where I came in was at two little Sebastians. Yes. And then in episode 
so can I can I say real quick? So as, yeah. as we as we do it with each you other, you tell me what I said. You're you, better at remembering. No, no, it anyway. no, because because I remembered what I scored it along with you. You said two little Sebastians. That's right. I said I said two, but then you talked me into it. You know, peer pressure and stuff. Uh, so I, I raised it half a point, and it was two and a half. That's you right. actually sounded like you were probably going to go two and a half, but being the first episode, we hadn't really talked about whether we could do half points and that sort That's of right. thing. Because you were kind of vacillating, I think, between two and three. But your your official, I'm sorry, sir, it's in the records. Your official is two. Okay, that, that's fair. I remember it differently, but we'll agree to disagree. All right. Okay. So then in episode two, yes, you know, which I think was probably even worse for us in way in some ways, it was my least favorite episode. Oh, uh, Grumpy Mark was out. Yeah. 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 I think I think I actually in the first episode agreed with you and stuck at two and a half. I think I lowered it to two in this episode. That was what happened for me. And well, then I think yeah. Yeah. And then I think in episode three, I went up to three little Sebastian. So my highest so far, I believe if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, the viewers at home can write in and correct me. They're not viewers. Uh, Dang it. (laughs) The listeners at home can write in and correct me. Yeah, they can Uh, see you. The highest is three little Sebastian. Right. So for this, for me, and I've said this to you, you know, kind of off the air, I feel like this episode is one of my favorite of this series in season one, for sure. I think it's reminiscent of many, many episodes we'll see in the future and this, the type of storytelling we'll see. I'm actually going to give this five little Sebastians. I know that sounds high, but I think it hits on a lot of cylinders. I like its simplicity. I like some of the character growth. I like the fact that we're we're, we're getting some of these characters we're going to love in, in great directions. Um, you know, four and a half or five, but I, I'm going to call it a five. Wow, that's that's a that's a strong, fair score. And you know, you know, you, <laughs> and you you're going to disagree. Here you go. Yeah, well, um, you know, you, you've heard the, the, the adage, uh, great minds uh, think alike, and okay. um, that doesn't apply to us. But I was going to say, where are they? Are, no, do we have we, them with us? No, we're renting them. The, no, but in this case, our, uh, you know, meh minds, we, we, are, we still think somewhat alike here. I, I agree with a lot of what you said. For, for me, hands down. This has been the best season one episode so far. Yeah, not a competition. And, and, and there are a lot of reasons why, and yet it's tricky. And for a lot of the reasons that you brought up, it's like it's, it's not a real involved plot. In a very Seinfeld-esque way, there's not a lot that happened. But, it. but in the same way, it was a great, great episode. Why? Well, there were a lot of great uh, improv moments. So fair enough. But but you know what? There have been in past episodes. There have been uh, some great moments like, uh, you know, the Darth Vader syndrome where, where yes. Ron defends I love that Leslie. Reference, by the way. Uh, yeah. thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to pump that into every episode as much as I can. Um, so, you know, there have been some great moments like that. Seven but- lightsabers for this episode. <laughs> But there have been some great moments in in some of the other episodes as well. Um, So I asked myself, what is it about this that in my mind? I do that. I says to myself, self. I says to myself, I says to myself, I says, what is it that really made this episode hands down the best episode in in the season so far? And my answer that self finally gave me was it is it is by far the most consistently funny episode that they have had 
to date. Mm -hmm. It's in my opinion, it's peppered full of genius and improvs and, and it didn't necessarily strike the, the Uber high moments that it'll eventually get to, but it stayed at a nice high level in my opinion and stayed there. So, you know, I was, I was thinking about it. So, so the Mark score here, I started out with a four as a base score. I'm going to give it a half point for the Ron sex dream questions for Tom. I'm going to, I'm going to give it another half point for the Ron, the Darth Vader syndrome, Ron monologue defending Leslie. So four plus half plus half, uh, that brings me up to five little Sebastians. We're in agreement, buddy. All right. There you go. I think we got there slightly different ways. I don't understand your crazy math to this day, but you know, because to me, you know, I would have added those things and then divided by some other arbitrary number. So I don't know. I don't I know mean, how you never, do math. You never divide. No, you just dividing isn't part of math. We know that. Just adding. Yep. Keep just it simple. Always add. Always add. <laughs> That's a good rule for life. It is. Wow. Nicely done. All right. Well, I think that about does it. What do you think, Mark? I think so. And next right. week we have uh, episode five, right? That's correct. The banquet. Yes. Yeah, I think this is going to be an interesting one. We're going to see Leslie's mom again. We're going to see a really crazy Leslie hairdo and some other shenanigans. <laughs> I can't wait. It's going to be a good one. All right. Well, we'll see everybody next week. Thanks for joining right. us. See ya. Bye. Live from Pawnee is a copyrighted production of the creators. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Original music was created and performed by Aaron Emerson of Emerson Studios. Clips are used under fair use doctrine for the purpose of commentary and parody. Please see our website at livefrompani.com for more details or to contact us.